Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Good morning. Thank you for being at our hottest service ever at River Valley Church. We do have a lot going on afterward. There's a great water slide. There's tri-tip. There's hot dogs for everybody. And uh, I want to encourage you to take this as an opportunity to meet somebody you don't know. This is why we do these events, to help new people get connected, to help old people find new relationships. I don't mean old people. I just mean if you've been around at River Valley Church. I got somebody shaking their head back there. Um, so we're glad that you guys are here. We have a lot um, happening today, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful day. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to be finishing out chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, as as uh, we mentioned uh, or mentioned last week, we have new envelopes for those of you that do give uh, like in person, we have those for you uh, at our connection boxes in the back. You can put your uh, tithes and offerings in there. We want to say thank you to everybody who is a part of, of giving. It's such a great part of our worship, expressing our love for Jesus and, uh, and furthering his kingdom. And so those are on the back tables. Uh, with that, hey, I'm going to ask you to pray with me today. I don't know, did you guys see we have some new greeters out front? Did you guys see that when he came in? Yeah, I mean, it's like, dude, I felt like I, felt like I could just retire now. I've arrived. I have protesters at our church. Uh, I actually made the mistake yesterday, last week, uh, Pastor Sean across the street, uh, Sean's a good buddy of mine, who's a pastor of Clovis Hills, um, not good enough to swap out offering boxes, but we're really good friends. Uh, I always say, like, you want to bet on it? And he's like, no. Um, and, uh, and so he put a picture, and I'm like, oh, I'm jealous. And so then someone's like, hey, we got some, like, shenanigans happening out front. So... Um, it'd be awesome is during our barbecue, if someone's take them some waters and a plate of food or some hot dogs or something like that and just show love. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why they're here. Maybe they heard about our awesome barbecue. Um, you know, we have a lot going on also in our, in our community. We have a lot happening um, in our country right now. Uh, we think about, you know, us as Christians, like our responsibility when we are faced with things like what we see going on in our country right now with, uh, of course, I think that on both sides of the aisle of political spectrum, we would see people that would see a need for uh, immigration reform and those kinds of things. Here's an opportunity for us to actually like put our politics aside, whatever they are, and say, Lord, we want to pray right now for those kids who are separated from their moms or separated from their parents uh, who have no idea kind of what's going on right now. And you might imagine just at that level of a young kid, the amount of, you know, trauma, wound, that sort of thing that takes place. And this is that opportunity for us to go, you know what, uh, beyond what we think or how we think we could fix our political system, uh, we just need to be as, as Christian men and women to pray for those kids uh, as they're away from their parents uh, away from the protection of their parents. Uh, as all of us know, we live in a very uh, a world where children are very vulnerable. And so we just want to pray that God would bless them and uh, would heal their hearts up and would uh, unite them with their, with their uh, parents. Um, I also want to pray for the division that we see in our country, the brokenness that we see in our country. And there is no political system that will fix any of this. You know what it is? It's the light of Jesus Christ shining through the church, amen, that brings change in a world. I don't care who we vote in office. I wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to be the president. Unfortunately, he's the Austrian oak. He can't be the president of the United States. And it's only because he was in the Terminator. That's why I wanted to vote for him. Uh, but, uh, you know, all kidding aside, it's Jesus that our country needs. And the church needs to be 
uh, raising that banner, the gospel. And today we're going to talk about loving our enemies and what that looks like. Uh, but that is a way that Jesus uses uh, the church to reach the broken and lost world that even opposes him and his church. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to dig into your word together. God, to worship you. Lord, to spend some time praying together. Uh, Lord, we're going to hang together after this service is over. And Father, we ask that you be a part of every part of this service today. Our young kids who are learning about Jesus. Uh, Lord, our teenagers and preteens who are, who are learning about your grace, God, and what it means to be a young man or woman to follow after you. God, we, we as a group of, of, of believers, just pause for a moment, Lord. We pray, God. We pray for those kids, Lord, who uh, didn't ask to be put in this situation and God, we're not going to try to solve those problems right now, but we're going to ask that through your Holy Spirit you would go and touch those kids and that you would uh, bring healing to their hearts and their lives. And Father, we also see just a, a polarization taking place, God. Uh, Lord, it's been there forever. It just seems even more highlighted with uh, maybe more and more social media and all that we see uh, in our world. And Father, we pray that you would bring the healing uh, to that division, God, whatever it is in our country. And ultimately, God, would you use us, your church, God, would you use the churches in this community, Father, and communities all across this nation, uh, as we thank you for this nation that we live in this week and celebrate our independence, God, may we use this opportunity in, 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 in this lifetime to preach the gospel, God, to, to show love, God, to reach the lost, God, and to, uh, to love the unlovable, God, to even love our enemies. And Jesus, may we see many, many people come to know you through it. We love you, Lord. I pray blessings upon this church. Use us, God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus all around us, Lord. And speak to our hearts today, God, as we wrestle a very uh, difficult passage, God, as we seek to understand what it means to love our enemies uh, and to do good to those who persecute us and pray for them. For it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, thank you for doing that with me. So uh, today we're talking about closing out this section loving our enemies. And here's the challenge for us is that essentially what Jesus tells us is to love others as if we like them. It's actually really good to like love, uh, right? It's, it's easy to love people that we like, right? Today we're going to hang out with people. You're going to be like, oh, I hope they come and sit by me. Like, oh, I hope they don't come sit by me. Maybe that's not your church. Uh, but maybe at work or places like that, um, you, you have certain people you just go like, oh, they're easy to love. Jesus is going to challenge the church to love every single person as if we actually like them, as if we actually want them to be a part of our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is really this challenging section of Scripture where Jesus teaches us this concept of, of live like this as if, as if you regard Jesus as your king. All these challenging passages. Last week, Jeremiah taught on not retaliating, not, uh, you know, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. And Jesus says that we refrain from, from actually retaliating to those who hurt us or wound us. Uh, Jesus did not just save us from a devil's hell, by the way, for eternity. Jesus saved the church so that he could create a new humanity, if you would, uh, a citizen of the kingdom or citizens of the kingdom so that they might go and live out the gospel uh, through life change as God is changing lives. And so the same pattern that we've seen throughout these six examples, Matthew's gospel chapter uh, five this morning, at verse 43, Jesus is going to use the same pattern. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For it is For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Uh, They were as despised in that day as they are today. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus says, guys, this is what you've heard being taught by the Pharisees and scribes. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Pharisees would add on that, and you shall hate your enemies. That was something that was added. They took the the love your neighbor from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, as as God says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but then they they threw on the the added bonus of, but then we hate our enemies. That's just a a show of hands. How do you guys have somebody in your life that you would qualify uh, or characterize as an enemy? Maybe someone who opposes your faith in Jesus. We'll keep these hands going. Maybe someone that you dislike that's maybe kind of like just offended you and you're just like, you know, not, I don't want you to be a part of my life anymore, right? We all have somebody like that, right? Uh, we call them frenemies, right? Like you go back five years on your, your Facebook feed pops up. Like eight years ago, here's what you were doing. You're like, ugh, I don't even like them anymore. Like, thank you, Facebook, for reminding me that I had fake friends back then as I do now. I think everybody has someone in their life that we dislike Maybe a little bit or a lot. I don't know if you guys heard recently there was a man who found a magic lamp. Did you guys hear about that guy? And, uh, and so sure enough, he rubbed it and the genie popped out. And he's just like, dude, score. This is awesome. So the genie pops out and says, you get three wishes, anything you want. But here is the catch. Whatever I give you, I'm going to give your mother-in-law double. And this guy, unlike me, I have a great mother-in-law, did not like his mother-in-law. Have you guys found that sometimes our in-laws are outlaws, or sometimes your in-laws are outlaws? And he's just like, oh, this is hard. So he waited, waited. Okay, fine. You know what? Just going to do it, because I'm going to get hooked up. First wish, Jeannie, I want $10 million, boom, dropped into a Citibank account. Problem is, $20 million was dropped into his mother-in-law. She's all excited, right, posting about it. And he's like, dang it. So then the next wish was, all right, I wish for a 10,000 square foot mansion on my own private island. Boom, done. And then his mother-in-law got a bigger island and her mansion was 20,000 square feet. And he's thinking hard, what am I going to ask for next? I'm so tired of this woman always having one up on me. And so he thought about it. And he said, Jeannie, I want you to beat me half to death. I don't know if you have like someone in your life that's like that, but you kind of find yourself praying. You know what I mean? Like you want to pray for their blessing. Jesus says, hey, pray for your, those who persecute you. Like, oh, I got a prayer for them. I got a real prayer, Jesus. This wasn't a direct quote from the law. Let me just say, I love my mother-in-law. This has nothing to do with me. I just thought you would, uh, you know, there it is. 
But it was how the Pharisees and scribes gave an interpretation. God never says in his word that you and I are to hate our enemies. They also gave their own definition of who their neighbor was. You have heard it said, love your neighbor. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, they put the definition on the neighbor. You might remember Luke's gospel chapter 10 where a man came, wanted to justify himself before God. He said, Here's the great command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and the Bible says, because he wanted, he wanted to justify himself before Jesus, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus is going to tell us who our neighbor is. They taught their neighbor was only an Israeli, someone who believed in God and someone that they actually liked. It wasn't a Gentile, it wasn't a tax collector, and their day it wasn't someone who sold out to the Roman uh, Empire or the Roman government, a Jew who had done that, a Jewish tax collector certainly would have been looked upon like that and disdained by uh, what we would say a Pharisee or a scribe or someone who's trying to follow uh, God in a true way. We might understand it this way. It was someone that was like them, and it was someone they liked. I think that's how we easily can define our own neighbor too. Oh, I love people. I love my small group. I hated my other small group, but I love my new small group. Why? Because I like everybody in my small group. Is that what Jesus is asking us to do? He clears it up in that parable. This is what your neighbor is. This is who your neighbor is. See, they even taught that it was their duty to hate others who were not Jews. We can see some of that that hostile sort of spirit even in some Uh, groups of Christianity or so-called groups of Christianity, right? Uh, They saw this idea of of, uh, hating their enemy was they saw God's judicial rule. And God, as a judge, would judge nations. He would judge individuals. Uh, And so they took that as, I as an individual get that same uh, opportunity. Much like it was, you know, it said when you you have heard it said an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. That was a judgment call. That was a, the idea of the punishment should fit the crime. They took it as I get to retaliate up to this month or up to this much. You, you broke my big wheel. I get to break your big wheel, right? You put a scratch on my car. I'm going to go and scratch your car. You broke my tooth. I'm going to break your tooth. And they did it as an individual. And so here they take the same kind of uh, opportunity saying, see, we're supposed to hate. We see God pronouncing judgment. Well, he's God. That's not our job. They destroyed the law, which was built on a principle of love. And this attitude of hating uh, enemies is continued. Why? Because it's natural. Isn't it natural to feel like a, a disdain for someone that hates you and doesn't like you? Those of you that grew up in the 80s, you know, we grew up during the Cold War, and we used to, like, do, like, you know, close those, like, big, thick curtains, you know, to, like, do, in case a nuclear blast were to take place, we're going to close the curtains. <laughs> we're going to get under our desk, right? And, uh, and, and, then, and then, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Russians, like, oh, my gosh, these Russian people, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm actually, I remember I have a, a relative of mine who was an instructor pilot for a NATO base, and he was instructing, you know, Russians how to fly. And one of our family friends says, well, you know what to do up there, right? Like, you know, eject, boom. I think it's just that idea of like, man, I don't know if I could like these people. 
Everybody has somebody like that. It's natural to feel like that, by the way, or someone that's wounded your family, or someone that's taken some, something from your, your parents' business. We see them as enemies. It's very natural. It happens in our world all around us. We love those who are like us. We hate those who are not like us. People, we experience division. We experience amazing political polarization and racism in our land. You think about your own life this morning. I asked you who you consider to be an enemy or someone that opposed you. Unfortunately, it does affect us. It affects us in kind of like low-key type ways. You think about your children. How do you guys have kids right now and there's like mean kids at school? You guys have anybody like that? Like you're like talking to kids like, don't be afraid to throw an elbow. You know what I mean? Throughout their running track and field. Boy, it's easy us as parents, right? And someone messes with our little Messiah or Messiahs. And we're just like, my child is perfect. There's no reason why. Even if there isn't a reason why. How do you respond to that family? Do you know how I respond to those families? I still see people, you know, that just like had jacked up, messed up kids. You know what I mean? That would like, you know, just whatever, be stupid to my kids. And then when I see them, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to take another tour of Save Mart right now. I don't want to say hi. I don't want to be nice. See, it's easy to go like, hey, so let's go and take them some food. They may be opposing us, may, maybe not. It's easy to go like, hey, when you see someone from Russia, hey, thanks for not pushing that nuclear button, and uh, Jesus loves you. But let's get down to brass tacks, people that affect your lives, and your children in particular. How do you, how do you express loving your enemies? How do your kids actually see that happen? How do they see Jesus affecting your personal life? or a coworker, or a boss, or someone that is messing with your personal situation, and it flares you up because it's natural. And you have to go, God, what are you asking me to do? I'm going to tell you, he's asking you to do some hard, hard stuff. There's people that you and I disagree with. We see that every time there's an election, right? We all have dumb friends on Facebook, right, that don't know what they're talking about. As a human, we fully understand this. It's natural to dislike people, especially those who oppose us and cause trouble for us. And yet hate our enemies is not in the scripture. It's good for the church to hear because there are groups of, of people that oppose the gospel message going out. There will, be, there will be people, even if they're not already in existence in the political world, that will, will, will make a mandate on a church in America that you cannot call this particular sin, sin, because that will be called hate speech in the near future. Could happen in a lifetime. So there will be opportunities for you and I to go, you know what, that's our enemy. And then we have to say, Lord, how do you want me to treat my enemy? And Jesus says, citizens of the kingdom, people who call on me and call me Savior and Lord, this is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Number one Jesus says, a true citizen of the kingdom shows love to all people. He makes it plain. Your enemy is your neighbor. And you and I are called to love our neighbor as ourself. Why? Because God loves them. And you and I ought to love what God loves in this world. How do we love people like that? In practical ways. Doing good. Praying for them. Jesus reminds them that God is good to all, 
even those who oppose him. I bring up Luke chapter 10 uh, a few moments back. The Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or heavenly purpose. And the idea of what Jesus described was this man fell into the hand of robbers. They beat him up. They took his, his uh, Air Jordans off his feet, took all his clothes, and they left him there for dead and naked. And a man that should have been a person to have a, a heart that would be stirred to go and meet this need was a priest walks by. And he walked on the other side of the road and left that man still half dead and naked. And then it says a Levite walked by. And he did the same thing. And then Jesus goes and he grabs the, 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 the enemy, the Samaritan. Jews hated uh, Samaritans, by the way, because they weren't, they weren't like natural uh, uh, citizens of Israel. They, they, were, they were like a, a melting pot, if you would, of many nations that was put there in the northern kingdom after you know, God you know, made the northern kingdom have a big time out. And so, in fact, it was, if, think about this, right? You wanna, let's, let's say we want to go uh, down to Disneyland today. We wouldn't, Disneyland would be awesome right now. We'd all pull our money together. We could buy one churro. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but as we start mapping it out, like, all right, let's go. Let's be fun. Let's meet at the front gate. We're going to have a great time. All right, let's ask Siri how we should get there. She's like, get on the 99 and go through Bakersfield. And you're like, oh, hold up, Siri. You don't get it. We hate the Bakersfieldians. <laughs> and so when a Jew wanted to travel from the southern area to the northern area, they'd have to go through Samaria. No, they didn't. They would go, you know what? Let's take the scenic route. Let's go not up the grapevine. Let's go over on the coast so we can bypass Bakersfield altogether. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you've ever spent any time in Bakersfield, that's worth the three or four hours extra. And then we'll cross over at uh, Magic Mountain, and then we'll spend five more hours on the freeway to get to Anaheim. See, that's how they would travel. And this is what freaked out the disciples when Jesus says he must go through Samaria, where he met the woman at the well. So Jesus goes and gets the worst person and says, that guy stopped, had compassion. He didn't like him. They did not like each other, but he loved them as if he liked them. He loved them as if it was his friend that he was in a, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, played baseball together. They grew up together. They rode bikes together. That guy, he treated him as if it was his best friend, if you would. And so Jesus is saying, citizens of the kingdom, they show love to all, <clears throat> and they're, they understand that their neighbor is their enemy, not someone that they like or that's easy to get along with. You can't, by the way, like everyone. Jesus is not saying, hey, I want you to like everybody. That's impossible. There are plenty of people that I don't like, none of which are here this morning. We didn't invite them to our barbecue. You like someone, you meet someone, you're like, you know what? Oh, man, I just get along with them. We have a lot in common. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Actually, like liking people and having friends and that sort of a thing. So he's not asking us to like everyone because it's impossible. But he's asking you and I to love people as if we like them. To show them the same kind of love that we would actually show or we do show to the, those that we are fond of in our lives. I remember a time when I was uh, down in, in Southern California. I was a pastor at a church 
down there in Laguna Beach. And, uh, and we were buying the building. I was on Coast Highway. Uh, whenever I got to speak for my senior pastor on a Wednesday night service, you could look right out the back windows, and there was no, lo- uh, no building on the lot across the street. I could see the ocean. I could see Jesus' face shining at me, <laughs> smiling like that. It was beautiful. It was awesome. So we bought, we're going to buy this building. No big deal. It was, a, it was an eyesore in the community. It stunk. It was filthy. And, and uh, we were going to make it awesome. And, uh, and so we go to the city council meeting, and there's hundreds of people at the city council meeting. Because there was one guy who rallied the troops and says, we can't have a church here. There's going to be traffic. I'm like, you're in Laguna Beach. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, there's traffic. Uh, you know, all the things, all oh, these people are going to do this, and be all these problems, and all these situations. And this particular guy, he was like this politically sort of motivated fella. And, uh, and so he kind of came with the pitchforks and torches, you know what I mean? Like, kill the beast. Uh, like a scene out of, uh, uh, what's that movie? Okay. All, I'm ashamed of all of you men that just said that. <laughs> and, uh, and there he was, Gaston, like, we're going to kill the beast. And I remember there were people just like, you stink, sir. I'd like to punch you in the throat. Because he was just this brash, kind of arrogant, that guy that was a, like, what's the big deal? We're going to have a nicer building here. We're going to meet there for prayer meetings. Like, sorry, we're going to ruin the city. And, uh, and so afterward, we all kind of saw him as an enemy because they didn't, they didn't pass anything that night. And, uh, and so I remember my pastor, I'm like, dude, what are we going to do? You know, the, the disciples had a moment like this where they were being rejected by a group of people, and they asked Jesus, Lord, would you like us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? And Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to stick around another year and a half. You still aren't getting it, are you? There were definitely people that felt like that. My pastor's like, you know what? We're going to take him to lunch. And so we take this guy to lunch. He was a big Nebraska fan. He would wear a big Nebraska hat, a big N on it. He told me it stood for knowledge. It was way before we could say, you know, like spell check and things like that. So... Here I was for the next 10 years, and, uh, and so we just started hanging out with this guy. We talked football. Uh, he had an organization where, you know, like some hippie organization where they wanted clean water and clean oceans, like what gives? Uh, I'm like, like, yeah, we want clean water too. We want clean oceans. We supported his organization. I'll never forget the day he came to church, and there was that moment where people could look like sort of side, you know, you're in church just like going, oh, they're here, Okay. All right, Lord, it's going to have to be like a Holy Ghost type of moment right now so I can find a way to exit and not have to see them today. Or we could actually choose to reach out to Roger. That was his name. And we can embrace Roger just like we embraced the people we liked at our church. You know what's crazy is that he actually became a friend and wanted to learn about Jesus, started coming to church on a regular basis. I don't know if Roger ever accepted Jesus into his heart as Savior and Lord, but I just found it interesting. We had a moment in time where we could either go, like, it's like, let's put up the dukes and go for it, or go, you know what, why don't we just choose to love this dude and love him into the kingdom? See, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Embracing people, loving people, that are different than us and that we don't necessarily like because that's what Jesus is asking us to do. This has nothing to do with, by the way, 
not calling sin, sin. A lot of people say like, you know, the church just talks about like loving the lost and loving the community. You speak truth because you love people. This isn't uh, this idea of like, hey, everybody, you know, gets to go to heaven and Jesus is not going to judge anyone. No, Jesus makes it very clear. If you personally reject him as Savior and Lord, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are saying and what we are lifting from this text is that we are supposed to obey Jesus and his mandate to love our neighbor and that neighbor sometimes is our enemy. God shows love to them, he says, by providing for them. We call this common grace. He says he gives them sunshine every day and he gives them rain. While we're in this world, God chooses to bless everyone, those who love him, those that don't, even those who oppose him. And sometimes it's how God uses it to draw people to him. The book of Romans chapter 2 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see, notice this, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We're to love them like God does. Our treatment cannot depend on who they are or what they do or they do to us. God sends sunshine and rain on the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. He gives them sunlight to make them happy and healthy. He gives them vitamin D. They have the sunlight to watch the little kid run through the wheat fields or the gluten wheat fields to modernize it. And rain so that they can grow their crops and they can wash their clothes and they can drink water. And he blesses everybody in the same way like that. That's what Jesus is saying. There are tangible ways that you and I can love. And by the way, God is loving to them and to us, not because we're lovely, but because his heart of love was moved. That's what John 3, 16 is all about. For God so loved the world, not because the world was beautiful and the world was like, Lord, we love you, come. It was because he loved this world, a world that was in rebellion, a world that was a mess and chaos, and a world that wasn't asking for God. It was that world that Jesus sent love to so that he could reach and save it. And the moment we see it like that, it's not so difficult now. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he uttered the words, Father, forgive them. That is love, loving your enemies. Our actions, by the way, are not governed by others' actions, but by God's mandate. We belong to a different kingdom now. How often does, is our lives affected by other people? Think about that. Like, oh, why are you in a good mood? Oh, I just ran into what's his name. And oh, we just had a good chat, right? And you just kind of feel all happy and blessed. Have you ever gotten a bad mood because you ran into somebody else? Like, oh, why are you so sour today? Why are you so mad? Like, oh, gosh, I had to talk to this, right? Jesus says no more. Don't allow others to control how you react in this world. Allow Jesus and what he's asking you and I to do to be what causes us to react, to love, to love our enemies. Some people will say, well, I don't want to be fake, right? I can't really show love to someone I don't feel love for. Have you ever had that argument with God? It's not fake, it's faith. Well, I'm not being authentic to my true self. That true self, Jesus has been asking you to kill and crucify for dozens of years, Right? That's that old man that wants his way, that doesn't want to forgive, and wants to do whatever he wants. There's that part of you that the Lord is saying, yeah, kill that guy. Kill the beast. Kill him. 
But this new person that you emerge as, as a follower of Jesus, you're to love. It's a mandate to love. And to pray for them. To pray over them. You could begin there. God bless them. Bless them with a car that doesn't start today. No. Bless them. Open their eyes. Ultimately, he's leading us to have this heart that we say, God, I want even my enemies to know you, Jesus. How badly do you want your grandkids to walk with Jesus? How badly do you want to see your own sons and daughters know Jesus and to walk with him? How many of you have parents or siblings that don't know Jesus Christ this morning, and that becomes your first thought when you think about eternity? God, I really hope that they will return and follow you and serve you. That same desire that you have for them to be saved, in a sense, is what Jesus is saying here. You pray for them to know you. You pray for them to walk with Jesus. You pray for them to experience his love. As concerned as we are about our friend's eternal destiny, we should be concerned about theirs. And so he says to pray for those who persecute you. You know, loving those you like is natural. Sinners do that. That's why Jesus makes that example. Even tax collectors do that. But loving those you don't like, that's supernatural. And what he's saying is that citizens of the kingdom, well, they do that. They show love to all. And when they do that, Jesus says, that we imitate God when we love like him. It's a mark that you're a true child of God. You're acting like your father. And the New Living Translation reads it like this. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. That's a New Living Translation. Paul the Apostle says, in fact, it's a next step for us to take. If maybe you want to memorize God's word, you could track along with us every Sunday. Let us know you're doing that on the connection card. But Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is something I'm going to be working on this week, and I want you to do the same. Where Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear, dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself for us as a sacrifice For us, a pleasing aroma to God. What does God do? He loves those who oppose him. He blesses them with sun and light and a plethora of other things that they get to enjoy as common grace is given to every person in this world. Romans 5 tells us in verse 8 and 10 that God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners. Verse 10, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And when you and I love our enemies, love them as if we like them, you are demonstrating an imitation of who God is. What if Christians were known more for blessing others than protests? What if we were known for what we did in this world rather than what we don't do in this world? Or what we stand against? What if that's what people felt from us as as the body of Christ in this community? This isn't saying we don't stand for right things. Love stands for righteous things. Love speaks the truth, but you can speak the truth without love. Here's a great uh, uh, kind of, I guess, concept to know if you're growing as a Christian. A lot of people wonder, well, I'm growing as a Christian because I'm I'm memorizing more of God's word. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm growing as a Christian because I'm involved more in my church. That's great. You should be more involved in your church. You should get your hands deep into this church and serve in some capacity. But that isn't a mark that you're actually maturing in your faith. <clears throat> that just means you're busier 
and you're hiding more of God's word in your hearts. What does it mean that you're actually maturing? The mark of maturity is love. Do you and I express the love of God for other human beings more today than we did last July 1st and 10 years back? You see, that's the mark. I think we all know somebody that at one point in time we would say, well, they're a really mature Christian. Why? Because their Spotify says it. Right? Maranatha music. You guys, you young people, you have no idea what we had to deal with for what we called worship on a CD or a cassette back in the day. You know what I mean? We had like one channel. You went to the Bible house, right? Like, if you like the Scorpions... You'll like Petra. Remember that little card, those of you that are 40-something years old? <clears throat> you're like, if you like, you know, Kenny G, you'll like Carmen. No, I won't. I'm not. It's not going to happen. Nor do I like Kenny G. Where's ACDC? Oh, that did. every rock band, there was like an arrow. All we got's Petra. That's what they said. <laughs> so don't ever complain to me about music. Everyone's like, oh, I just listen to Christian music different. I'm like, oh. You got no idea. Boxing all my secular tapes up so I can listen to Petra. That's what happened. I'm not saying I don't like Petra, but I don't like Petra. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Where am I at? What are we doing right now? Oh, there we go. Love, right? You're maturing because you sing Petra and you love people more. That's how you know you're maturing as a follower of Jesus. And by the way, God's love sets the example. You're never more like Jesus. Get this. You're never more like Jesus than when you love someone who's offended you. When you forgive someone who's hurt you. You're never more like your Savior and Lord when you do those things. And last, when we show love to all, it not only shows that we're imitating our Father, but we provide a testimony to others. When Jesus says, what more are you doing? If we sit here and say, like, oh, Lord, we just loved on one another, like, what more are you doing? You loved your friends that were going down the water slide today? You loved those you sat with and ate with? You loved those who hang out in your house for a small group? He says, when you love those that don't deserve your love, well, now that's a testimony to others. That's demonstrating, like, hold up, Jesus has changed their life. She used to be the kind of person that would go, oh, I'm going to get her back. But now she's the kind of person that's actually talking to this one and actually is forgiving this one who's wounded her and offended her. See, that's what happens when you and I demonstrate love to those, that, to everybody, is that it's a testimony to everyone who's watching us. The believer lives at a higher level. And he began this journey six examples back when he said, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, don't hate. See, that's a higher level. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. <clears throat> but I say, don't have lust in your heart. You have heard it said that you can give your wife a certificate of divorce. But I say, stay together because you made a vow. Right? Right? Does anyone else agree that living the Christian life is way more difficult than when you're just smoking out and hanging out with your buddies? I know what you did. Right? It's so much easier to retaliate. It's so much easier to blow up at somebody at your work who offends you and frustrates you and didn't come through like they said they would. I mean, can we? that's what we're getting real there. 
And then when you have a different, uh, uh, a different reaction, the way you even treat your quote-unquote enemy you're married to and your coworkers see you have a different response to that person you're married to. And they see you loving when it's not reciprocated. And they see you pouring out gestures of love and kindness to everyone. Well, then they go, what is making you different right now? Why are you shining in a different way? And we scream to the world when we live like that, that Jesus saves sinners. Amen? And that Jesus changes lives. And he can change your life too. He says to us, therefore be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's two ways we can look at that. One is that Jesus is saying, here's the standard, it's perfection. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, as you read through the law, you realize you fail. And like the law, the Sermon on the Mount, it drives us to Christ. But then afterward, it directs us in Christ. It shows us how we're supposed to live. Me not having hate in my heart doesn't save me. But now that I'm saved, Jesus is saying, let's remove hate. You get that? I think we all understand that. Here's another way of seeing this. This word perfect actually means complete, mature. And so Jesus is saying, move in this direction. God is the most complete being this world has ever known, right? He can't ever learn. He's perfect. And as a follower of Jesus, citizen of the kingdom, that's the goal. I'm not doing these things, removing hate from my heart. I'm not loving my enemy because I want to be saved. I'm doing it from a position of salvation because I am saved. But that becomes the mark. And you say, Lord, I can't live up to that. I can't do that naturally. Well, you're right. You can't. We need the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to do those kinds of things. Have you ever said, I forgive you to someone, and then you were shocked? What came out of your mouth? You say, you know what? I'm just going to choose to forgive me. You're like, oh my gosh, what just happened there? I'm changing. See, that's what God does. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is of love. Paul says in Galatians 2 that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and Christ lives through me. This morning as you sit here and you think, I've got that enemy. I've got that one who opposes me. There's going to be more and more in my life. God, I can't love him like that. What you can do is you can say, Lord, I want to open myself up to you this morning and say, God, would you fill me in such a way that I can express that kind of love to even my enemies? Could you receive prayer this morning on the sides of the room as we worship and say, can you pray for me? There's someone that God is challenging me to love Romans 12 is a great passage to begin with on a daily basis. Lord, as a spiritual act of worship, I'm going to lay my life down as a living sacrifice. God, my life belongs to you. Who are you asking me to love? I ask you to think of somebody in your mind who you might have. Can I ask you, how is Jesus calling you to love them today? Begin praying for them if you don't pray for them now. Begin asking God to bless them, to open their eyes, to save them, to bring restoration to your relationship. Is God asking you to reach out to them? Is God asking you to bless them in some tangible way, a way that you can actually meet a need of theirs, and it would be just that, loving 
them as if you actually like them. You know, our next step that I'm asking you to take with me is, is one is to memorize, commit to memory. In fact, you could take out your connection card. It says Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Commit to memorize that this week. That would be a great place to begin. There's another next step for you to take, to commit to praying for those who are hostile towards your faith in Jesus. I think we all have a relative or a friend or somebody that every time you talk about Jesus, they just get, you're just like going, you know what? I feel that opposition. Lord, I'm just going to begin to pray for that person. You see, that's the next step that you would take. What we know is that God is asking us to love exactly like he loves this world. As our team comes out to lead us in a closing song before we send you out to buy one of our RVC sweatshirts today because you might need it. <laughs> I want to I remind you that God loves you in the same way he's asking you to love people. In fact, he even loves you more than that. While you were a sinner, Jesus had provided a way for you to be saved already. Before you took your first breath in this planet, he'd already made a way for you to know him to have a relationship with him, to have your sins completely removed and gone, and to have the hope of eternal life. When you park your mind on that thought, everything else becomes easy. Lord, I'm going to love them like you love them. I'm going to forgive those as even I am forgiven in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And maybe you've joined us this morning, and here we are talking about loving our enemies. I, I want to tell you something that is true. You are an enemy of God's, as all of us once were at some point as human beings. But God loves you and God wants you to be in his family and wants you to have a relationship with him. And that does not come by trying harder or being better or following the Ten Commands or going to church. That comes when you surrender your heart. We use words like to realize that you're a sinner. Recognize that you've broken God's laws today. To repent of your sin, that means that you're going this direction in your life and you're making a decision to change and go 180 degrees backwards towards the Lord. You want him to be a part of your life. You want him to be your savior and your Lord. We talk about having this idea of recognizing Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and then ultimately receiving him into your life. You know, as we close this time of prayer, maybe you've never responded to a, a, an opportunity like this. You've never committed your life to Jesus. This morning, you're not certain if you were to die today that you would actually go to heaven. The Bible says that, that Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him. It was this, this, this cultural understanding that a relationship was gonna take place, but you've gotta open the door to the Lord. If you, that's something you want to do this morning, we're going to, as we do every single week, if you want to invite Jesus to be your Savior, invite Him to be a part of your life, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And God, I pray that, Jesus, you will bless each and every one of us, God, to have the kind of heart, Lord, that goes out and loves those that, uh, that you're calling us to love, God, even our enemies, Lord. We'll allow you to define who our neighbor is, God, which we find in your word today, God, it's everyone. Lord, would you help us to love like that? God, I also pray for those who've joined us today that don't know you. God, there might be one person here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you yet. But God, today you're calling them to be a part of your kingdom. God, you're stirring their heart, Lord, to respond to this incredible opportunity, Lord, to become a child of the king, to have their sins forgiven. God, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when they die, they'll spend eternity with you, not because they were good, not because they're religious, but because they had faith in Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and the sins of the world. Either heads bowed, eyes closed. If today's a day that you want to surrender your heart to the Lord, 
As I'm looking around this room right now, I want you to really quickly, I want you to put your hand up super high so I can see it. And we're going to tell God right where you're sitting today that you want him to come in your life. I'm going to pray a prayer up here. And you're going to pray right where you're sitting this morning. But if that's you, you lift your hand up and let's pray together today. Let's ask Jesus to come into your life this morning. Anybody here today, you want to surrender your life to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. Anybody here today, you're ready to surrender your life. God bless you. God bless you. He loves you so much. Anybody else, this closing moment, you want, you want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today. You lift your hand as well. Let's pray together today. Anybody else? Listen, for you that raised your hand this morning, anybody else this morning who wants to surrender their heart, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. You pray this after me. And the Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life today. Pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, God, today I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Lord, I trust and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. God, would you guide my life? Would you help me to do your will from this day forward? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your offer of eternal life. I give my life to you now, and I invite you into my heart. For it's in your awesome and holy name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I, I wanted to say welcome for that one or maybe more that just prayed that with us. Let's all stand this morning. On that connection card, for those of you who just prayed with me, there's a spot that says, today I invited Jesus into my life. I want you to mark it down and put it in a box. I want to get in touch with you, give you some tools that help you grow. Let's all close in an awesome song of worship today. If you need prayer, there'll be prayer available now and following our service. Let's worship today.